0: Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and this is the Authors on Fire podcast. Right now, I have some big questions for you. Do you wonder sometimes how and why you're here, and what here even is, and who you are in the greater scheme of things? Are you feeling increasing overwhelm and despair about the world around you because it's taken such a dark turn? Well, if these questions resonate with you, Then today's conversation with Dr. Howard Eisenberg and his book titled Dream It to Do It will begin to explain it all. We have so much to talk about today, so I just want to dig right in. Welcome to the network, Howard.
1: Thank you, Pat. Thank you.
0: You know, I did not read a long bio because it might be best if you just give us a little peek into who you are, what you've done, and why you can answer these enormous questions that I just posed.
1: That's a simple question that can be a complex answer. Okay, to <laughs> so begin with, uh, just in terms of my my credentials to speak on this an important subject in a meaningful way, I am a physician, a medical doctor, specializing in psychotherapy. I've been a faculty member of several universities in Canada and the United States, and I've been on a lifelong quest ever since my childhood to try to make sense of reality and understand what is reality. How does it work? Uh, what are the, the limits or parameters? How far can we go in our imagination and see some of these things happening in what we call the external material world? So those, those, those are questions that in an early age. And I actually did my uh, research thesis in psychology at McGill University for a master's degree on telepathy, uh, which was looking at the challenge of proving under very strict control conditions because it was a very... Uh, Skeptical environment, to put it mildly, at McGill University at the time, to prove that it was possible for individuals to share thoughts and feelings between each other, even though they were separated by distance and physical barriers and totally controlled in terms of locked doors uh, and guarded entrances and so on. So there could be no trickery involved whatsoever. And the result was, uh, very strongly, we showed that, yes, uh, even if we took naive strangers who just volunteered, most of them were psychology and graduate students, that they could indeed, in a laboratory setting, demonstrate the ability to transmit or receive information from each other people's minds. I then went on to uh, write a book uh, on this subject called Inner Spaces, Parapsychological Exploration for the Mind, almost half a century ago. I pioneered a course, a credit course, at the University of Toronto in parapsychology. And all along the while, I was continuing my, my work as a medical doctor, and also involved in eventually uh, working as a consultant internationally with corporations and government organizations as well. Uh, variously in, involved in the subject of increasing people's awareness of better options, better choices, better resources, wider decisions, and that, that's been kind of the, the broad theme Um in my work in many ways, increasing people's awareness. And through all of this time, uh, I was looking at things through very much of a scientific lens. Uh, I, I appreciated the notion that you don't just assume things, you test things out. Um, and that's partly why, again, I pursued that sort of you know, pioneering research in a very uphill way at McGill University on telepathy, and similarly introducing Parasite College as a credit course where it was not welcomed at the University of Toronto feeling, again, these things need to be brought to public attention, but also being drawn for me, you know, to the challenge, to the leading edge. And yet, as I said, I was looking at things broadly with a, a scientific lens. Um, my master's degree in psychology was experimental psychology, not clinical. Uh, I also did go on to have post psychiatry. So I had a real blend uh, of educational experiences, but still looking at things largely through a scientific lens. And when I say scientific lens, I mean, again, that we don't assume things. We can test them out. But also there's an assumption in Western science that most people aren't fully appreciative of and that we we call these things paradigms. It's like a, um, a belief system, all of reality. For example, as we know historically, there was a time when people did not believe that the Earth, our world, is round. They thought it was flat and it would be dangerous to sell off at a distance into the ocean because it would fall off into the world. We can laugh at those things now, but at one point, you know, that that was a belief system for people. And our belief system today in Western science is what we call the materialistic reductionist paradigm of reality. In English, in plain speak, that means we assume that there's an independently existing material, physical world outside of us, and also that other people, uh, other organisms, be they animal or plants, are, are totally separate from us as well. We have our own totally separate identity. And that's an assumption, but we're not taught it's an assumption. We're taught that's you know factual, but it's an assumption. I can be back to that. And as part of that assumption, we also have here in, in Western science the assumption that our sense of ourselves, our awareness, our consciousness, our mind, come from our physical brain in our head. And strangely enough, Pat, that, that too, scientifically, is just an assumption. There is no actual scientific proof that the head brain produces our minds, our consciousness. All we have is what we call correlational evidence that if you stimulate or uh, remove perhaps part of the brain tissue in various ways, be it naturally or through actions and so on, or disease like tumors in surgery, that there are changes in how people experience their awareness and, in fact, what they can perhaps do physically with their bodies in the so-called external world. But that's just correlational. That's not, you know, proof of cause and effect. If, if you mess with your you know, your iPhone, your computer, uh, whatever it might be, uh, radio, um, TV, if you play around with it in a disrespectful way, so to speak, pour water and accidentally drop it, so on, something happens in life, you may destroy that device's ability to receive the signal, the information that normally it does have and that also perhaps you can send out. It's two ways, such as with our, our cell phones and computers and the Internet. But you haven't destroyed the source of the actual signal of the Internet. Or if someone else is trying to send you an email and you cannot receive it at this point because your device is disabled, it doesn't mean it's still not out there in cyberspace. And then if you have a, uh, a new computer or another device that you can't access that. So again, it's not the source. It's just the receiver of it. And we believe it's a selective receiver. I could go on and on with, you know, these examples of these fundamental assumptions we've made that I repeat, are not actually supported by science, but we assume them. And it might just be for some, well, it's, you know, philosophical difference. and not that much of importance beyond the subject of intellectual debate. But the point is, Pat, it's of extreme, critical, I would say existential importance. That's why our world right now is so messed up. We bought into the assumption that the ultimate reality is physical. It's out there. It's independent of us, and we can try to use it, and or exploit it, no matter it's there. And look at the world we're in right now. Mm -hmm. We're facing already the ravages of global climate change, the droughts in the American Southwest, the flood in Pakistan, the fires in Europe. It's not theoretical. It's not just about... You know eventually one day in the far future it's happening now we're experiencing societal breakdown in america there's an incredible amount of divisiveness now amongst people and by that i don't mean simply in the level of uh, political ideology it's much more fundamental it's almost to the point of dehumanizing the other and considering them almost enemies to be uh, harmed or destroyed taken out um and then we look at the world broadly, you know, the the weakening of democracy in many governments throughout the world, the current war going on in Europe with the possibility which has been raised of it escalating to nuclear level. Um, wow, you know, I don't want to be into doomsday here, but things are not good in our world and we need to wake up to that. Depression is one of the leading causes of disability in the world internationally. And so there's so many indices, again, that we're not living right now the good life going forward. And we can, you know, hope and pray for our children there'll be a better life than we're experiencing currently. But the odds are, as we understand the way things are going, quite the opposite. And so it's fundamentally important, again, to come out of this or spell and wake up, and my book is intended as a wake up call to realization that this mess in the outside world we're experiencing right now is based on our fundamentally incorrect understanding of what reality is and how it works. And that is what I've endeavored to share in my book.
0: Oh my, so much to unpack here. (laughs) I want to play a little bit of a devil's advocate because I'm thinking all of the issues that are coming upon us today, I almost Mm -hmm. feel like humanity behaves like children. And Mm -hmm. we look to our supposed leaders or governments, Mm -hmm. uh, or the people who we Mm -hmm. believe to be are the elite. And those Mm -hmm. those are the ones that are pulling many of the strings and making many of the decisions, and we are just mm-hmm. part of the fallout of that. How do we make these changes to make the world a better place when we really have very little control over what happens?
1: Okay, so uh, I don't take that as you know a, a, a critical challenge, but it, it just invites me to explain this more, and I appreciate you, you bringing me to something to have a more practical application. So, yes, I mean, right now, as many uh, are you know hearing about these days, it's sort of the 1% of the wealthiest people in the world who basically control pretty well everything in our material realm of life, whether we're aware of it or not, but in many ways they do. And one can attribute much of the problems that we're experiencing right now in the world to that imbalance. But even there, there, there's this other element in terms of understanding at our different level. So these breakdowns we're having between, again, uh, people, uh, cultures, countries, and even our relationship with our environment, are all because we're getting into this illusion that we've assumed was real, that we're all separate. And the reality, as I present the evidence extensively in my book, is the exact opposite. We're not separate beings. We're not even separate from what we think is external nature. We're all connected to what the mystics call the oneness, you know, of the allness. But I go into very deep evidence, even looking at things like the latest developments in quantum mechanics and physics, where the physicists are simply saying as well, fundamentally, there are no building particles atomically, which matter is eventually built out of and which we, you know, experience and use and manipulate in various ways. They say when you really get down to the deep level of examining the structure of reality, it's not a physical reality. It is only probabilistic. They call it like a wave of probability. And for it to become, as they call it, manifest into reality, so you can actually maybe track it, see it, manipulate it, it requires the act of human consciousness. So consciousness to the physicist increasingly depends on its generation ability for everything. And I'll I'll go into that a little later on, but I want to go back to the issue that we're having now with society and the power imbalances. So another aspect of this is the ego. In fact, I'm working on a second book right now that on kind of ego management. The ego is what's causing the problem in so many ways, and and certainly at the 1% level. The, the ego is almost like a can be like a mental cancer mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that cancer in the physical body as we know uh, so to speak wants to grab more and more territory and consume the body uh, at people's peril and similarly the ego unrestrained will consume everything and it consumes someone's sense of compassion for others or a sense of any accountability and we already know uh the news media broadly of some examples uh, of these exact characteristics and behaviors out there right now. So the issue there is to learn not to be so caught up in our emotions. And right now, I would say fear and greed are are prevailing, you know, throughout the world uh, on a more population level. Largely, it's fear, and at the very you know top level, the one percent, if you like, put it that way, it's greed. Uh, but those are the two strongest driving forces, and even now as we're facing challenges in our economy, like inflation, there are some people, again, from greed, who are using as an excuse to, you know, Uber mark up their prices way beyond, which is the inflationary figures would support. And, and we're seeing more and more, again, of people just thinking of themselves, like me first, and what we have to do is change to a different mindset based on the reality, as I understand it, of a we mindset. Uh, without you, there's no me. We need each other. We're all together in this. You can look at it, you know, sort of poetically, as Shakespeare put it, We're, we're all but players on the stage. But I think more powerfully, we do, coming back to what you mentioned before, about our lack of control. That, too, is illusion. You know, I say the only way out of the mess we're in, broadly speaking, is to go in. When we go in, we realize and can feel and experience our interconnectedness with each other and other aspects of what we consider the broader reality. And all of the developments, all of the things we consider as discoveries, inventions, uh, constructions of humankind since the beginning of history, all of it comes from the human imagination. All of it. No exception. And I give some very detailed examples in my book of that, of the claim. Even Einstein, at the tender age of sixteen, was already playing with his imagination to eventually understand how the universe works and, and give us the basis of today largely of modern physics as we know it. So imagination is something which we have discouraged in our culture. We, you know, when, when kids are, for example, in primary school they're caught so-called daydreaming, they're reprimanded by their teachers, stop daydreaming and perhaps parents too students are supposed to be studying at home but we're killing the source, that ability to imagine things differently, almost magically, because there's no sort of the constraints or the laws of science so-called or economics don't apply in the realm of the imagination, we're, we're robbing ourselves again of the source of our creativity Another very profound resource we have when we learn to go within is our intuitive ability, our intuition, our ability to know beyond the historical um, knowledge uh, or beyond, again, what other people are able to even calculate on their computers or find in their um, population service, whatever you mean. Uh, it, it can go way beyond any of those, both in its speed and its accuracy. And again, that comes from within
0: your your thoughts on imagination and intuition, how those are pretty much thwarted, as you said these days as technology mm-hmm. has taken over i I never see anybody even having a human connection or a conversation. You go to a restaurant and even you know spouses and children and family. everybody is glued to technology, and so there's no room for imagination or intuition. So how do you wake people up? Well, in my
1: case, um, I felt a call, literally, to write this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I felt such an extreme call to write it, even, you know, potentially risking my own professional reputation, and to do it as fast as, you know, humanly possible. Um, for people who aren't familiar with book publishing, it can mm-hmm. take about three years uh, to bring a manuscript to the attention of an agent who will accept it. with the revision that they may ask for the manuscript before it goes to production. So you're looking at about two, three years Mm -hmm. to to get something like that out. I did mine in five months. And I did it by self-publishing, so I had to take on that financial burden as well. But again, as I said, I felt calm. I I knew what I was aware of. I care. The wrong people are speaking out and controlling us in many ways, as our so-called leaders. And I felt I just have this obligation. I have this obligation to Mm humanity for now and the future. Um, And in these interviews that I'm having now, similarly, I'm trying whatever I can without any way trying to constrain the the subjects uh, or the tone of of these interviews to be as open as I can and sharing this with as many people as I can. Mm -hmm. I think these are desperate times. Mm -hmm. I think we really are facing existential threats. I'm not the only one who thinks that. It's just not well known publicly. Right. For example, the, um, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, highly respected international scientists, uh, create what they call this doomsday clock, way of somewhat uh, keeping track of the probability of our potential extinction, and they graphically sort of illustrate it as you know how many minutes. Uh, the clock may be set before midnight and the night being, again, uh, catastrophe, annihilation. Just a few weeks ago, as you may know, Pat, they said it at the impressive short interval of just 90 seconds before midnight, before extinction. Mm-hmm. These are scientists all over the world. Mm-hmm. Highly respected. These are really scary, serious times. So again, back to your question. I'm doing everything I can, and for any of your listeners, if if they know of other opportunities where I can help share this message, I, I'm
0: more than glad to. Thank you. It's why I'm here. Yeah, thank you. We need to get copies of your book to those with the ego unrestrained.
1: <laughs> it's in process. I'm mm-hmm. working on it now. Mm-hmm.
0: You talk about connecting. They're
1: critical. You know, no. They're critical flaws, so to speak. Yep. Aside from my misbelief in materialism.
0: You talk about connecting the dots for a mind-blowing actual experience of expanding awareness about what's really real. Let's just, that caught my eye. Mm -hmm. You say intellectually psychedelic. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. Um, The design of my book, both in terms of the information I present, the sequence of it, and the way it's presented, is what we call entheogenic. So... There's a great fascination these days in our culture and in part of my profession in medicine and psychiatry with psychedelic medications, um, what indigenous cultures would call time medicine. And I have found a way to, without any medication, without any drugs, if people are open and read my book slowly with reflection, because it's not a normal small book aside from the Provocative subject matter within it. It's almost like in terms of the amount of data within it comparing a old fashioned transistor to the modern semiconductor chips, which have billions of transistors in a single chip. So I don't know there's any, honestly, other books out there that information dense, but it also means the information's there, but it's a challenge. It's a book to be read very slowly, say, very reflectively. And if you read it this way, it will expand your awareness. You will have the psychedelic appreciation of the arbitrariness of the limitations of the way you've been thinking of yourself and our reality. You have a much more expanded consciousness. And it's not just, again, on a theoretical level, because part of the book near the, uh, the end of my book is to actually give very practical opportunities for my readers and listeners to test it out for themselves. It's not just theoretical. It's how reality works. And to quote the Bible, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free.
0: I was thinking about you. I woke up in the middle of the night last night thinking about your book and thinking about how it needs to be read. When you first sent it to me, I Mm -hmm. opened up the file on my computer. I started to read it, and I thought, oh, my. Reading this online while I'm trying to do a hundred other things is like trying to drink a fine glass of wine out of a styrofoam, styrofoam. cup. Yeah, out of a styrofoam, <laughs> out of a styrofoam cup. Driving a hundred miles an hour down the highway, I might be able to consume the wine. It does nothing for me. I can't savor the flavor right. or feel right. the jamminess of it. Or this book does need to be read slowly. Um, and yep. for me, I almost yep. need a physical copy so I could read with a pen in well, my hand you know
1: and, and, that's a, and that's a good point, Pat, because it, it's right now it's available to four versions so hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And my personal preference for what I would hope people would obtain would actually be the hardcover copy mm-hmm. because there's it, it, it introduces your awareness to it in a, a somewhat deeper way as you said correctly. Uh, We're living in an extremely distracted environment right now, which, again, is part of our problem. Going back to the example of people, you know, being so caught up in their cell phones that even when they're together, you know, physically over a meal or or for whatever, they're often looking at the screens or when they're walking down perhaps the street, whereas they previously maybe would have been looking at people smiling, saying hello occasionally. Um, They're looking at their their screens, their phones. Um, and unfortunately, we see, of course, with driving, sometimes we call distracted driving. Uh, so we really have this this, this, this problem again. I think so distracted by all these things around us, and some of us, similarly, have a different challenge in the sense that we just tune out because so much right. we don't even try anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think when you get the physical book, it, it it brings you more into the moment, the present, which is part of the key aspect of staying reality. It's the moment. It's now, it's the here and now. This is the common teaching of all the old mystical teachings. This is the experience people have on psychedelic substances. It's yep. only reality that we can experience is right now, this present moment. But that's not a restriction. When you understand that, <laughs> I mean, then you can connect, because we're all connected to your deeper underlying source where, again, we have this unlimited amount of imaginative capacity and intuitive wisdom. And this is not just an ability to uh, understand things differently. It's an ability to, to, to use the New Age term, to work with manifestation. Manifestation can be real. These things, again, going back to experiences, as we have it in this realm of reality, because I think it was level or realm, so in this level of reality where we seem separate and material. We, we have all types of things that we play with and detain ourselves with. And it's okay if we're not caught up in it. In Buddhism, for example, they, they speak of the, the concept of non-attachment and the impermanence of things. So it doesn't mean if you understand this greater sense of reality, that you still can't have any sense at all of the reality. you still can't enjoy, for example, what appears to be nature outside of you, but it's not as fixed, it's not as separate. There's a connectedness. And in that there's a you know there's a, a calmness and a sense of empowerment. But again, it's two ways. It's not only an increased awareness, it's also an increased ability. What you can do to change things again, going back to manifestation, and manifestation is not as simple as just saying you wish for something, or having a prayer for something. But there's actually, sort of speak, a, a technology, and I again, I tried out in my book as well. What are the actual steps and the rationale for those steps to be able to bring forth manifestation, and it's. A little more complicated, just like, as you said, the book is very complicated, So um, even if they say it that way to you. I believe that there's a certain essential intrinsic randomness in all of reality, the design of reality, and I explain in the book why. So although we can increase the probability of our desired outcome for manifestations, for example, and we really can, it does not mean that we have absolute power, but no matter again what we attempt to manifest going through the various steps outlined in my book, you know, will absolutely transpire, will absolutely happen, and will so-called materialize. But the probability will be increased that you will have that desired favorable outcome when you work with those guidelines. So it is very real. And even if I look at my you know, own field, more conventionally of medicine, the placebo effect, Mm-hmm. that's a manifestation mm-hmm. where a patient believes that a certain drug which isn't really a drug it's, it's like a counterfeit it looks like a drug it's a placebo but they believe it's a real drug many of them experience real effects and by the way not necessarily always the positive desirable ones but like with real medications sometimes they complain of side effects mm-hmm. so they have got a rash you know diarrhea uh, <laughs> other things and it's just a placebo it's their imagination Imagination does have
0: power. Yes, in your book, you have the four key practices for shifting reality for manifestations, calming and centering, intention, imagination, and belief. So uh, we'll kind of leave that as a little cliffhanger here, that there are practical ways and means, as you say towards the end of the book, that uh, folks can actually begin to put some of this into practice. We're going to begin to wrap up here. You, you sent me a fun fact that I have to talk about. You say you typed your <laughs> you typed your entire manuscript with just one finger. That's true. <laughs> Why?
1: Uh, I, I never really learned how to type, and just shortly before I started working on the book, uh, I developed a medical condition called trigger finger, uh-huh. and I had some hand surgery, um, which which didn't go that terrifically well. So yes, I ended up typing the entire manuscript
0: myself with one finger. Wow. This is so strange. I I haven't heard of trigger finger in a very very long time. <laughs> I, I do work with uh, essential oils, and I just had someone email mm-hmm. me this morning that wanted to know mm-hmm. if there were any kind of essential oil blends that might help him with trigger finger. And now you just <laughs> and now you just said that, which is just. Uh... Well, this
1: is an example we call a meaningful coincidence uh-huh. or synchronicity, more technically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're more open to that. There's a lot of that we experience. Yep.
0: Yes, and you do have to be open and see most of what you're talking about. I think folks are so closed off as fear makes people closed off. Technology closes people off. These last few years with, with the pandemic and all has just really closed people off. So for the opportunity, let's look at it from a positive side, the opportunity for people to expand and to become more aware is never before been this heightened. And that's why I am so happy you rushed to get this book out. Because <laughs> there there is no time. There's no time to wait I, sadly, to, no. to, to read this and absorb it and become it. So title of your book is Dream It to Do It, The Science and the Magic by Dr. Howard Eisenberg. If you would share any place folks can go to find out more about you, your work and get copies of your book.
1: Well they can find it about me through my own website, which is DrHowardEisenberg.com and doctor's just Dr. Looking so, you know, at DrHowardEisenberg.com. my personal website. If they want to obtain the book, the easiest way for most people in the world right now is to obtain it online through Amazon uh, in the U.S. You also Barnes and Noble uh, in Canada. Additionally, through chapters in Indigo, but primarily online retailers such as Chapters, uh, as they say here in Canada, Indigo, uh, Barnes and Noble, and Amazon
0: right So the website drhowardeisenberg.com. Thank you so much for for this today. It weighed on my mind all night because I just knew there was so much to talk about and I knew we weren't going to be able to touch on all of it, but I'm, I'm hoping it's just enough for people to say it's time for a change. We need to look at things differently and I know that your book will really enlighten and help. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Pat, for your interest and also for your listeners. Thank you.